Form, playing his violin. He played six pieces of music, each written by Johann Sebastian Bach, totaling about 45 minutes. About three minutes into the playing, a middle-aged man stopped and listened for a moment or two before picking up pace and then getting back on schedule. A woman walked by and dropped the first dollar into his case, and she just kept walking. Another man stopped and leaned against the wall for a moment, only then to check his watch, and he too then moved along. The one who seemed most enthralled was a three-year-old boy, and he just kept watching and wanting to stop, even as his mother pushed him along. Several other children did the same, and each time the, the parent played their role and scooted them on their way. By the end of the 45 minutes, about... 20 people total had dropped some money into the case. Only six stopped and listened for any real measurable amount of time. And when he finished, the man took the few donated bills and coins out of his case. And then he returned his $3.5 million Gibson Stradivarius violin to its proper resting place. The $32 received was a far cry from the on average over $100 per seat sold out Boston theater he had just played two nights before. And the violinist, the man who had donned the baseball cap, leaned against the subway wall, was none other than Joshua Bell, a world-renowned violinist and conductor, and one of the pieces he played was one of the most intricate musical pieces ever written not just by Bach, but by anyone. It was the Washington Post that came up with this social experiment about the perception and priorities of people. Do we perceive beauty when it's right there before us? And do we stop and appreciate it? Do we recognize it in unexpected contexts? What do you think? Would you have stopped? If you were riding the metro that morning and one of the best violinists in all the world was playing some of the most beautiful music ever composed, would you have recognized it? Would you have stopped? Would you have taken in the beauty? Or how about this? How many people do you think who walked through that subway tunnel gave another thought in their day about what they had seen or heard, even in passing? Do you think it shaped them? Or do you think it was drowned out by the sound of typing keyboard keys, the ringing of cell phones, or the notifications of alerts, or the cries of babies with dirty diapers, the yelling of a spouse, or the sound of the voices in their head, repeating lies of failure, shame, and inconsequence. 
if something beautiful was right there before us, would we stop? Would we appreciate it? Would it affect us at all? It's worth considering. And it's what the Apostle Paul hopes we will. It's what he's drawing our attention to in our text tonight. So if you've got your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Colossians. Uh, This time to chapter 3. We're going to read the first four verses. Uh, If you don't have your Bible or don't have an app on your phone, um, scoot close to the person next to you that may have their Bible and look over their shoulder and tell them the preacher said it was okay. This is God's word for us tonight. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. and Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, we ask that you would meet us in the middle of all of our distractions and hurried life. We ask that you calm us and help us to hear you. That you would meet us in the middle of our disbelief, our shaky belief, our wondering if we believe, or our doubts as to why we should believe. Meet us in our anger. Meet us in our anxiousness. Meet us in our arrogance. Meet us in our poshness or our poverty. Meet us in our loneliness. Meet us in our fear. Please, Lord, just meet us. As you met with a woman at the well, as you met with the cheat of a tax collector named Zacchaeus, as you met with Peter, the disciple that betrayed you three times, as you met with Thomas, your disciple, that doubted whether he was just imagining things or whether you could actually be present with him, Lord, we pray, meet with us as well. As we have prayed so many times before, so we ask again, speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name, amen. There are two great questions, aren't they? Would you recognize something beautiful if it was right before you? And would it have any effect on you at all? As we consider our text, I I think the New International Version or the New International Translation of Scripture uh, of this text actually serves us better than the ESV from which I read, or at least the first words. What I read says this, if, then. And when our minds hear that, um, we read it at times as if there's some sort of lingering question. Well, if, then. The NIV catches Paul's meaning, I think, better when they translate it this way. They say, since then you have been raised with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. This is yet another example of what Sean's been uh, telling us before, that there are times when the chapter markers uh, in our Bibles really don't Uh, don't serve us well. This is another one of those passages. You see, to understand the four verses that we read tonight, you have to remember everything that Paul has said thus far because it sets the context uh, for this passage. 
Specifically, verse 1 of chapter 3 ties back to the first part of verse 20 at the end of chapter 2. Look at it. It says, if with Christ you died, and then from our passage, if then you have been raised with Christ, or again, it's better in the NIV, since with Christ you died, and since then you have been raised with Christ. You see, Paul's not questioning the reality of these statements. He's putting these realities right before you and exhorting you to look at them. These two things, since you died with Christ, since then you've been raised with Christ. Christian, you died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. This is true for you. And as wonderful as that is, even That is just a few bars of a magnificent masterpiece. Our call to worship tonight serves as a whole other movement of this magnus opus, if you will. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Those things that are visible, those things that are invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the first born from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see it? Do you see this magnificent, beautiful truth? Do you recognize beauty when it's right there before you? You, Christian, are so tied to this Christ, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one by whom and for whom all things were created, the one who holds all things together. You, Christian, are so tied to this Christ that as he died, you too died. And as he was raised to life, you too were raised with him. Don't miss that. You too, not will be, you too were raised with him. You want a real life picture of it? Matthew uh, chapter 27, historical fact. If you've got your Bible, flip over there. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to pick up in the middle of Matthew's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? And in what we're about to read, Matthew both both gives us a real-time account and then skips ahead just a little bit. So Jesus is being crucified, and in verse 51, Matthew says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now, most of you have heard that. Most of us remember that. But then comes this, And many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Stop it. How many of you remember that? Be honest. How many of us actually have stopped there and said, wait a minute, time out, and thought about what Matthew was saying? That Jesus, okay, as he was being crucified, as he was dying, there were those who were dead who were raised to life. 
And then when Jesus was resurrected, they too came out of their tombs and walked into the city of Jerusalem. Do you know what that means? It means that dead people walked into a city. And it's not as if they just walked up to a stranger and said, Hey, how you doing? My name's Tom. You don't know this about me. But I was dead just three days ago and now I'm alive. No. The way Matthew tells the story, they appeared to people that they knew. It would be like you're standing there looking at somebody whose funeral, funeral you went to six months ago. And now they're knocking on your door and talking to you face to face. Do you see it? They were dead. And just as Christ died, they died. He was raised. And they were raised and lived. What was true in Matthew's gospel is true of you and me. Paul is saying, Christian, you are just like that. Just as sure as this happened on that day that Christ died and the day he conquered death and came out of the grave, just as sure as it happened then, it will happen for those who are in Christ. Since Christ died, you died. Since Christ was raised, you too are raised. Don't just keep walking past that. Don't skip over this reality, this beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is right there before you. Don't be unmoved by it. Something that true, something that beautiful, it should affect us, right? Do you think the person who was dead and then walking around Jerusalem with Jesus wasn't affected by that? Do you think the people that knew they were dead and now as sure as I'm standing before you, their loved one, their friend, their family member who they knew to be dead is now standing before them and alive again, having seen and witnessed that, do you think their lives went unfazed by that? Of course not. Why then do you think we walk past it every day with very little thought that as Christ died, we died, and as Christ was raised, we too were raised. Paul is saying it's a beautiful thing. Don't skip over it. And it should affect us. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. This is probably on the list of verses that many of us have heard before. Some well-meaning friend or family member quotes it or quotes part of it when things don't go our way, right? Well, you know what the Bible says. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. As if when we hear it, it's supposed to be like a band-aid of our spiritual or emotional boo-boos, right? That's not what Paul is saying. Or some people read these verses and use it as a defense of a kind of escapism. Sean mentioned it last week at the end of chapter 2. This type of spiritual mysticism where it was taught that, that the physical was bad, but spiritual was good. That's not what Paul is saying. In other words, the belief that the world out there is so bad. You, Christian, you just focus on heaven. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. But that too is distorting what Paul is really pushing us to. Going back to the metro platform. The Washington Post was not suggesting in their experiment that the people in the metro should have skipped work that day just because of Josh Bell. That the people who heard the beautiful music should have neglected their calling and responsibilities. 
No, a man sitting in a downtown courtroom needed his attorney to come to work that day to defend him before a judge, not just to call in sick because one heard a beautiful piece of music. The woman who first put money in his case may have been the judge who was going to hear the man's case and for her to suddenly decide to call into the office and say they just needed to reschedule could have delayed justice for an innocent man. And the dad who had taken the metro to pick up medicine for his sick child still needed to get home with the medicine. It would not have been good for him to simply put that off for another hour so he could just listen to a man with a violin. And just as the Washington Post wasn't suggesting that the metro should have stopped or that people should have forsaken their respective callings that day to just stop and stay in the presence of beauty. The Apostle Paul is not saying to ignore the things that are around us. Paul is not saying to just conjure conjure up pictures of heaven in our mind to imagine what the furniture is going to be like, to dream about what eternity is going to be like, to try to remove ourselves from the reality in which we live and that earthly things don't matter. No, what Paul means when he says... Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, as we'll see in the weeks to come, is that we are a changed people. Therefore, the things that used to define us and fill our minds, like sexual immorality, like impurity, like idolatry, those things shouldn't be the things that define us anymore. We're new creations, having died with Christ and having been raised with Him. Therefore, our lives change because of the reality that is now ours. It is a call to love the things that Christ loves, to desire the things that Christ desires in light of the security we have since we are united with Him. And just as the people living in Jerusalem would have known that there are those once dead who now have been raised living among them, so too the people around us ought to know and be affected by us being raised in Christ as well. How so? Well, let's think a little bit. Let's think about our businesses. It is absolutely okay to be a Christian and to believe strongly in the free market and to advocate for the free market system. But there may be times where the economics of Christ's kingdom trump the raw principles of profit and success. To love the things Christ loves and desire the things that Christ desires may manifest itself in decisions like what we pay our people. Not because our government says you have to pay them this much, but we actually look and say as a business owner, I believe a person needs this much to really live on and support and um, support their family. Therefore, I'm willing as a business owner, as a Christian business owner, to pay that wage. It may mean that as a Christian business owner, you can make more money by moving to another city or another neighborhood, but in doing so, you may be taking the one business that residents can depend on in their neighborhood. You may be the one shop that remains giving people access to much-needed goods and services. So while your economic interests may say move, the gospel and Christ's kingdom interests say stay. Setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things, may mean things like capping profits 
at a certain level, investing the rest in ministries around the world. And there are Christian companies and Christian business owners all over who are making decisions just like the ones I've mentioned. And they're great examples of what Paul is talking about here. You may own a business and have a warehouse that you're not using. Maybe a market downturn put your plans for expansion on hold. And we may have a ministry partner, say, such as Advance Memphis, who is expanding partnering businesses in need of space for storage and manufacturing and assembly and shipping. And the warehouse you own may be sitting vacant. could be the very thing that would allow unemployed people or underemployed people in our city an opportunity for financial security. Setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things, may mean you call Steve Nash and see if they could use your warehouse. You may be retired, semi-retired, You may have a background in education or social work. And two weeks ago, you heard our ministry partner, Agape, talk about the opportunities they have to be involved in people's lives in the metro Memphis area, be it in education or career services or job placement or fostering children or even adoption. And setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things, may mean you call David Jordan with Agape and see how God has prepared you through your life experiences to come alongside someone else and help befriend and guide and love them. Loving whom Christ loves and desiring what God desires on earth as it is in heaven. Our youth director, Brad Robinson, sent a text with a link to a Reuters video that showed a train station where hundreds of Germans were waiting with Ukrainian flags and signs and flowers, and they were greeting the refugees fleeing their war-torn country and offering these perfect strangers to come and to live with them. I don't know if these were Christians, but I know this. Christians should have been at the front of that line. If we were close by, if busloads or trainloads of Ukrainian refugees were pulling into Memphis, would we be making these offers? If not, why not? Doesn't Jesus say that he's gone to prepare a place for us? Doesn't Paul even here say, as Christ died, you died, and you've been raised with Christ? And look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him where? in glory. Why wouldn't we be doing this? You see, because you died with Christ and were raised with Christ, it necessarily leads to a change in the way one views the things around them. One now sees things through the kingdom lenses of their risen Christ so that their whole mindset is now changed based on what Christ has done for them. I have a friend who found himself at his local coffee shop Admiring art pieces on the wall. He was talking to a woman on staff there and come to find out after speaking for a while, she was the artist of many of those pieces. And he began asking questions about her and about her art. And he said there was a small stairwell that led to a studio just above the coffee shop. And the woman said to my friend, well, come here. I want to show you my favorite painting. And so he went with her upstairs to the studio when she pointed to an art piece and said, this is my favorite painting painting. It's a self-portrait. And my friend starts to describe the painting and says it was a picture of a beautiful woman from the back with long flowing hair going down her back and the picture was from the waist up. 
And my friend, in relaying the experience, said, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, but the artist who had said it was a self-portrait did not look like the woman in the picture at all. So he had this moment of kind of disconnect and dissonance. Then the woman said that she had dedicated the work to her husband. And the name of the painting was, How You Make Me Feel. Her husband's actions towards his wife, whatever they were through the years, had made the words, I love you, a reality. It changed the way she viewed herself because she began to see herself as her husband saw her. It changed her. You know it changed her because she made a masterpiece out of it and took the time to share it with a perfect stranger. Have you ever heard a song on the radio? Heard a tune while standing in line at the grocery store? The song gets stuck in your head. You find yourself just whistling or singing the tune throughout your day. You'll be walking down the hall and notice yourself humming the notes of the song. It becomes the soundtrack of your life for that day, right? How you make me feel. The piece dedicated to her husband was because the love of her husband was the earworm that she couldn't get out of her mind. I wonder, even for the people who didn't stop to hear Joshua Bell that day, if they found themselves humming the notes as they changed the diapers, as they answered the emails, as they walked the halls of their businesses, because the beauty they heard that morning did, in fact, affect them. And like Paul, I wonder, if the beauty of the gospel reality of being dead with Christ and raised with Christ is the musical masterpiece the earworm that we simply cannot get out of our mind. And then that heavenly reality then changes the way we view things around us. It should, you know. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this masterpiece of redemption that you have painted for us, where even in our sin, you sent your son to take the penalty for the wrath of our sin upon himself and to to give us his righteousness. That in Christ as he died, we too died. And just as Christ was raised, so too we are raised. Father, I pray that that gospel reality would be the music we cannot get out of our minds. And so that, Father, it would be the thing that fixes our eyes on Christ. But then as we turn around and look at the things around us, we wouldn't ignore them. We'd see them through kingdom eyes. That we would love the things that you love. That we would desire the things that you desire. On earth, as it is in heaven. Behold, you tell us, you are making all things new. Enlist us, O God, to be a part of it. And to sing the glorious gospel, not just tonight, but for all eternity. We pray these things in Christ's name.